We turn for our Bible reading to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we're starting to read at verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought uh, life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher to the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee Keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. Amen. Ending at verse 14. And we know that God will add his own blessing to the public reading of his word. We turn again in our Bibles to 2 Timothy, the chapter 1. And let me read to you verses 12 and 13 once again. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Let's bow for a brief word of prayer just before the preaching of the word of God. Our Father, we do thank thee for an open Bible. We thank thee for civil and religious liberty. We thank thee for our Protestant and Reformed faith. We thank thee for all that thou hast done for us. And so often we take for granted. And yet today, with hearts full of gratitude, we lift them up in thanksgiving and in praise for all that thou hast done for us. Lord, bless thy word to us now. Lord, do us good through the preaching of thy word. Give us an appetite for the things of God 
Help us, Lord, to feed upon the word of truth. And grant, O God, that we might be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. These verses, 12 and 13 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, remind us and encourage us to be courageous to the end. And that this morning would be the theme of this message, courageous to the end. Paul says something similar in chapter 4 of this book and verses 5 and 6. And he says, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. These well-known words are taken from Paul's final epistle, written during his last imprisonment in Rome, where he awaited martyrdom. He was soon to be offered up as a martyr for Christ and to enter into his eternal reward in heaven. Notice how he joins these things by saying to Timothy, I am a dying man. My day is finished. It is now time for you, Timothy, to step up and to step forward. It is time for you to be in the front line to take up the torch of the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the passing of the older generation always emphasizes the church's need for faithful young men and faithful young women to rise up and to carry on the work of God into the next generation. The fact that we live in perilous times, times of rampant apostasy, shows the need for new stalwarts to take their stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, verse 1, we read, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Those perilous times have come. They are upon us now. They are no longer in the future. They are here. Men are lovers of themselves more than they are lovers of God. Chapter 3, verse 2 says, They are covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, 
having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. What a list. What a list of wickedness. A list of departure from God. A list of ungodliness. In perilous times, apostasy runs riot in the country and in the church. Paul warned the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Such apostasy can be met only by those who are faithfully following the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching of his most holy and precious word. Each generation faces a new onslaught from a new crop of apostates. Each generation therefore needs a new generation of men and women to fight today's battles. We cannot fight today's battles in the strength of men who fought well in their own day but are now in the glory. We can celebrate their memory and make use of their labours but our need is for new men and new women who will also uh, take up the torch and shine that torch widely in their own day. Men and women who will guard the gospel. Men and women who will be men and women of God, who know God personally, and who have the power of the Holy Ghost in their lives. We need such people who do not fear the face of men, but who will go right across the entire world, preaching the gospel, bringing the message of salvation, telling sinners the way to heaven, and leading them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need young people who have died to the claims of the world who have died to the claims and attractions of self and worldliness, and who are ready and who are willing to serve the Savior wherever they go and whatever the cost. May God be pleased to raise up a new generation of such stalwarts in this our day. Despite his predicament, in prison and awaiting execution, the Apostle Paul is not concerned for himself, but desires to encourage the ongoing witness of the church. Hence his words to Timothy in verse 8 of Second Timothy chapter 1. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. This exhortation is backed by example, as Paul declares in our text, I am not ashamed. 
I am not ashamed. I want us to consider, first of all, the cause for which he suffered. The cause for which he suffered. He says in our text, for which cause I suffer these things. The previous two verses, verses 10 and 11, make it clear that the cause is the cause of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whereunto he says, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. This is the message which brings Christ's light to sinners in darkness, which brings Christ's saving grace to a world that is lost, to sinners who need redemption and salvation. There may be many causes which are regarded as worthy for which sacrifices are made, but there can be no more nobler cause than that of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All Paul's sufferings were in the interests of that one noble cause, as he declares elsewhere in his epistles, and particularly in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 17, where he states, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul had a personal experience of Jesus Christ, and he preached out of that experience. It is said that a new minister in the parish in which Thomas Carlyle lived asked the famous writer what the parish most needed. And Thomas Carlyle replies was, reply was, Sir, this parish most needs a man who knows God other than by hearsay. Ministers and elders and all believers must prove the gospel. Knowing Jesus Christ personally, having received and accepted him, know him daily in their lives, put him first in their lives, crown him Lord of all. This must be our experience day by day. And it's this message of Christ and this message alone that can make others wise unto salvation, that can bring them out of darkness into light, that can change their lives, transform them, and make them new creatures in Christ Jesus. Many servants of God have followed in the apostolic succession of Paul in suffering for the cause of the gospel. Not least in our own United Kingdom, men like the great reformer Hugh Latimer, who declared at his final trial in 1555, all those years ago. He declared that he had been imprisoned along with Cranmer, with Ridley and with Bradford. And this is the reason he gave for the cause of Christ's gospel preaching and because he would not go amassing. 
And for this reason, and for that glorious cause, Ridley, Latimer, and the others were imprisoned, tortured, and finally martyred for the sake of the gospel. They suffered for the gospel of Christ. Many today suffer for this cause in other lands. We thank God for the religious liberty and freedom that we have still to preach the gospel. We don't know how long that will be afforded to us. And we do need to make the most of it and the best use of it and the blessings that God has given to us. And we need to serve him faithfully and serve him uh, with a full heart. Whatever may come, may we be like the Apostle Paul. May we be set for the defense of the gospel. The church at Philippi, unlike other churches, stood fully and without apology in support of Paul's ministry. In commitment to him and the gospel he preached, they never wavered. They were faithful all through the apostles' ministry. And that church stood resolutely with the apostle in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel. Even when the, uh, Paul suffered imprisonment and when it was dangerous to be associated with him, no doubt this Philippian church was a great church. And oh, for men and women today in this, our generation, to stand faithfully with the Lord's servants as they stand up for the crown rights of Jesus Christ. Let us also think of the courage which Paul displayed, not only the cause for which he suffered, but the courage which he displayed. He says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. This is not the first time that Paul uses these words. We find them in Romans 1 and verse 16, where he writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. At that time, he was at the height of his missionary activity in Corinth, where his gospel preaching met with much blessing as we see in Acts chapter 18. The power of the gospel was evident as it transformed the lives of men and women in that very wicked and sinful city. It was quite a different story as he wrote this epistle to Timothy. Now no crowds were gathered around him and no people were eager to hear the gospel. On the contrary, he reveals in chapter 4 that only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. And that at his first answer, in verse 16, he says, No man stood with me. He was alone. In other occasions, people were around him, sometimes crowds around him, and that encouraged him. But here, he's alone. He's standing alone for the gospel, 
standing alone for Christ. And yet, this did not lessen his courage as he stood for the gospel of Christ. He was not ashamed when his message was being blessed. And he's not ashamed now when the only response was hostility and opposition. On the eve of his martyrdom, he could say that he had been not ashamed at the beginning of his gospel ministry, and now as he ends it, he is still not ashamed of the gospel. This same courage has been displayed by many down through the years. Many of God's dear servants and God's dear people, some known, some not well known, and some not known at all, have taken their stand and even sealed their testimonies with their blood. May God give us the grace that is needed in this day that we might stand and be faithful for the Saviour. In the third place, we come to what I would call the heart of the verse of our text. And as we do so, we find the secret of Paul's courage that it lies in the conviction with which he spoke. The conviction with which he spoke. Note these words. For I know whom I have believed. His courage stemmed from a strong faith which could withstand all opposition. That was some faith. Note where that faith rested. It rested not in some empty form of religion, not in some creed or in some man, but in the living person of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the risen, resurrected Saviour. He does not say, I know what I have believed, but he does say, I know whom I have believed. Sound doctrine is important, as the following verse points out. He says, verse 13, Hold fast the form of sound words, that is, sound doctrine, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, and that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us. So he's exhorting Timothy, who's coming after him now, the next generation, to hold fast that good thing which was committed to you, the gospel, the preaching of the word, the doctrines of grace. Hold fast, hold tight, don't let them slip. And here he's exhorting young Timothy to be a faithful and good minister of Jesus Christ. See also verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned 
unto fables. And then in verse 5, notice the first three words, but watch thou, watch thou. He makes it personal. And today, the Lord would have us to make God's word personal to each one here. Watch thou, but watch thou. Be careful. Make sure you know Christ. Make sure you have received him. Make sure you serve him properly. Make sure you stand faithfully for him. However, having said that, let me say that knowledge of sound doctrine without a personal experience of and faith in Jesus Christ is of no value whatsoever. There are people in the world and in our province today, yes, they have a knowledge of the Bible. They know what sound doctrine is, but they do not have a personal experience and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the vital thing. That is the important thing. Christ's high priestly prayer for his disciples was that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And I ask this congregation today, individuals, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know God as your Heavenly Father? Do you know salvation, having been saved from sin by grace through faith in Christ? Have you come to Christ? Have you been born again? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you following wholly after the Savior this morning? If not, thank God, you can become his child today. You can trust him as your Savior, and you can enter into that blessed assurance, coupled with that blessed hope of knowing that it's well with your soul. Will you not come as you've been exhorted so many times? Come today, only trust him, for he will save you, and he will save you now. At the moment of the Apostle Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road, he asked the question, Who art thou, Lord? He wanted to become more acquainted with his Saviour right away. And thereafter, all through the days of his life and his ministry, he wanted to know more about the Lord. Philippians 3 verse 10, he bows his knee, as it were, and he earnestly pleads that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Oh, what a desire, what a longing, what a burning was in his heart to know God and to increase in knowledge, to grow in grace and to become more like his blessed master. Is that your desire, dear Christian, this morning? To be like Paul? This thirst for knowledge of Christ had brought firm conviction to Paul so that at the end of his pilgrim journey 
he was able with full assurance to say, I know whom I have believed. In these days where so many people seem uncertain where they are and what they believe, may we make sure that we know where we are and what we believe. And then, let me say, finally, note the confidence he possessed. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What confidence? Not in the flesh, not in organization, not in the church, not in his works, but in the Lord. I am persuaded that he, he, Christ, is able to keep what I have committed to him against that day. The words that which I have committed mean literally the deposit, the deposit of the gospel and of a soul, something which years previously he had committed unto the Lord. Our Savior reminds us in the Sermon on the Mount that treasure laid up on earth is always insecure. And Paul laid up his treasure and committed it to the Lord in heaven, committed it to Christ. Jesus said, lay up not for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And then he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. <clears throat> Paul had learned this lesson. And in his first epistle, he had warned Timothy to charge some that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. In our text, he refers to something infinitely more valuable than earthly riches. That is his never-dying soul. The Savior said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Nothing can be more valuable to a man or a woman than their never dying soul. As Paul prepared to face martyrdom, he had no fear of death, for he knew that it was well with his soul, for it had been committed to Christ, who was able to keep that and guard it against that day. Oh, have you committed yourself to Christ? Have you been washed in his blood? Are you trusting him today? Are you following him as your own and personal saviour? Paul was dying. He was soon to be martyred. And as he faced a violent death, knowing that he could, it could come at any moment, he rejoiced that he was ready to die, ready to go. 
He was looking forward to heaven. How blessed to be able to finish the course with joy and assurance. What an encouragement this was to Timothy and all the other young men who were around Timothy to remain faithful to the gospel. The rewards are great. The rewards are wonderful. But Paul's testimony had such a a much wider application than it had just to Timothy. And it speaks to all of us, even today. We must all die. It may be nearer than we think. The great question is, do we have Paul's testimony? Do we have the same assurance? Paul says he had no fear. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Chapter 1. He has no fear of death, no fear of judgment, no fear of eternity. He's ready. He's ready to go. Further, he says he has no shame. I am not ashamed. No shame. What a testimony. It is as if he was saying, my sins are under the blood. My guilt is purged away. I am justified freely by the grace of God. I have believed the gospel to the saving of my soul and have committed my life to Christ. I have not done everything perfectly, he would say, but I am covered by the blood of Christ's atonement and the the garment of his righteousness. And I am not ashamed. Will you be able to say that at the time of your leaving this world? At the time of your death? Tell me, are you ready? Should it come today? You're not ashamed to stand for God before men? Not ashamed to go out to meet the God of eternity? Because Christ is your righteousness and he's your saviour. But he could also say, I have no doubts. He says, I know whom I have believed. He has no doubt about the salvation of his soul. I know whom I have believed. Not what I believed, but whom I have believed. It is not a mere head knowledge of doctrines about Christ, but Christ himself. Paul knew Christ personally. And only Christ can give this well-grounded assurance that Paul had. I wonder, do you have it today? As he writes his letter to Timothy, Paul has no doubt about his work. He was laying down his life work and was about to present it to God. And he was not perfect in all that he did, but he had no doubt that he had made the right choice. He had no doubt that he had done the right thing. He had no doubt that he had lived the right course. And he had no doubt that he had served the right master. 
I wonder, how is it with you today? As you listen to these questions and words, I ask, is it well with your soul? And then Paul tells us he had no doubt about the gospel. He says, I know he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. And he says he has no doubt about eternity, for he speaks about that day. He had no doubt about that day. Oh, isn't it great when we live our lives for the Lord and come to the end of the journey here on earth and to be able to speak with this same assurance that Paul had when he was about to be offered as a martyr for Jesus Christ. Oh, I wonder, is it well with your soul? Are you ready to meet the Lord, to go out into eternity with the assurance that you know that you're going home to heaven to be with Christ for all eternity? I trust that will be the case in each one of your lives.